time. It's time to get back to the Matt Wyatt Show. Live in the studio. Knock him out, John. Woo! This thing's killing me. Shoot up in here. That's exactly right, Jerry. Welcome back. Hour two. With the home team, hour two of the show in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio, Farm Bureau Insurance. Go! The home team. Also staying connected to you because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. C Spire, customer inspired. Check them out, cspire.com. We covered some ground in hour one, and we're going to do the same here in hour two. As a matter of fact, we sure are. Uh, yeah, so. What was that again? We ended the first hour on a call from Mad Tiger who says that he used to fish in a 12-acre lake. He had a 12-foot boat. And he had a fish as big as his boat stalking him. Just staying right behind him. Ease up behind him, look at him. (laughs) And he stopped fishing in there. We were trying to figure out what it was. Nick texted the country pleasing text line at 885 ESPN and he said the same thing happened to me at Pickwick. A bunch of us were waiting and that big sucker bumped into my back. He says, and I came out of that water like Chuck Norris and missing in action. <laughs> came out of that water quick. Now, Flowtown Ghost was uh uh, accusing Mad Tiger of seeing visions that were alcohol-induced. Now, I don't believe that was the case. Now, Boomer Sooner did text the show and said, Mad Tiger, I've had visions like that, too, in my younger days. <laughs> Y'all know good and well it's possible that some random pond that nobody ever messes with on some private property could possibly have enough, I don't know, of a food source to uh, just grow gigantic. You know, I mean, big enough to scare you. It's possible. <laughs> what is this here? Real C said, I used to get 25 cents per bird for shooting those catfish pond criminals. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Bulldog West texted and said, tell Mad Tiger that Troy Landry calls those tree shakers. And he says it could have been a sturgeon. Okay, and see, here's the thing about it. Like, sturgeon get to be humongous, but don't they? I mean, sturgeon are living mainly north of here. I know, I think we have a Mississippi record sturgeon. That means somebody's caught a sturgeon in a river. But you're not going to see a big 12-foot sturgeon in a 12-acre pond or lake. I mean, it's going to be on a big, fast-moving, deep, body of water somewhere up near the dam right out in the main creek channel right and we debated on it could have been alligator gar because those things are i mean they're humongous alligator can an alligator gar get 12 feet long i mean it could get 12 feet long probably isn't but could anywho that's where we are and in case you're just tuning in you're going matt what are you talking about The reason we got here is because yesterday, the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks crowned a new state record blue catfish, 131 pounds caught on a rod and reel. And the previous rod and reel blue cat record 
in Mississippi. It was 90-something, 95 pounds or whatever it was. And it was caught in the same area of the Mississippi River down near Natchez. Here's my thought also. People that are going out of the Mississippi River near Natchez catching these big catfish, are they intentionally going to catch the largest one they can catch? Or are they for fun? Or are are they catching fish to eat and they just happen to catch a big one? I'm not familiar with this kind of catfish. Ing. You know what I'm saying? Now, and, and one more thing, just real quick. So Chase texted me and he said, um, he says there's a lake, what, Lake Hico? Hico? Lake Hico, that's here. Okay, it's built to cool the pipes from Mississippi power and, and lighting. He said, and the lake stays 74 degrees all year long? Yeah, they've shut that down now, though, so I think they've drained that. Lake. Oh, have they've drained it? Yeah, it's right there on Northside Drive here in Jackson by yeah. the power plant that's now defunct. Yeah. And then in regards to maybe like a sturgeon or an alligator gar or something being in a 12-acre lake slash pond, he says if the lake is near a river, like, you know, in a floodplain, you could have all sorts of things, which is true. If it floods all one time is all it takes, right? Anything can wind up in there. That's That's true. Well... There's really no way to make a perfect segue from state record catfish over to a baseball team trying to make a regional. I mean, I'm supposed to be a pro. I'm just admitting I don't know how to do it. So I'm cutting bait (laughs) and moving on over to the phone line, the Divinity Equipment phone line where David Murray from uh, Jeans Page is hanging on. Did I do okay there on the segue, David? What did you think? My question is, is there a calculation out there of how much sunflower oil it takes to fly fillets from that catfish you mentioned? <laughs> well, and uh, our resident fisherman and, and fisherman that likes to eat, Real C. Collins, he's a crappie fisherman. He's the one who said, yeah, I'd love to catch that fish, but I'm not going to eat it because it probably tastes like a truck tire. <laughs> and uh, he's probably right about that, isn't he? I would think so at this point. Oh, goodness. But, uh, yeah, nice segue <laughs> into uh, a sport that uh, is, uh, oh, I am so tempted to use, use the word floundering. Floundering. But, uh, I knew you were going to do it. I knew you were going to say they were floundering. <laughs> that's, but that's but that's cruel because it's really not so much. You know, I talked to some good friends about it. And Matt, you and I have covered state baseball a long time, me a little bit longer. I certainly go back a couple of years before you showed up. We won't say how many years because mm-hmm. that embarrassed both of us. <laughs> um, I've seen years similar to this um, in several aspects. If I'm asked to summarize this team in just a quickie, it's, it's something fans don't want to hear, but it's true. They're pressing. Um, you see it in a lot of sports. You see shooters in basketball press. Sometimes you see quarterbacks and receivers press in football. But baseball is where pressing really stands out so much. I'll give you some examples. From Sunday's game in particular, there were so many situations, Saturday as well, more so Saturday, I guess I should say, because of all the runners in base, mm-hmm. of guys getting a 2-2, 3-2 counts, good hitters who have hit under pressure before, and they swing at junk. And they swing at stuff that is so far out of the zone because they're trying so hard to make play. They're not fooled by the pitcher. They're just seeing something that's not there because they're trying so hard to make a great big play happen. 
when all you need is the little play. Or as as R.J. Yeager said Sunday, it's not even getting a base hit. Just sometimes just get a ground ball, and good things can happen there. And that's what's happening. Yes, we are not letting the pitching staff off the hook. Though I think people are now beginning to realize the full extent of the loss of Landon Sims and Stone Simmons, who were the best at each end of the pitching plans. But simply the fact is this team, good players, good individual players, are lacking something in that team approach, not because they're selfish, just because they're trying too hard to do too much too many times. David Murray on your radio. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a there's lots of different, you know, evaluations of kind of why some things happen. And, you know, I was going back and looking at it too, David. Friday night they didn't have this rash of leaving people on base and stuff, but they really did on Saturday. And, and watching that game – Number one, you, I'm not making excuses, but you had an umpire on Saturday that had an extremely <laughs> wide strike zone for an SEC game. You're not, you're not going to see one. LSU or State, either one Partic- will not. Particularly to left-handed batters. To left-handed batters. They really did. Brutal. They really did, you know. And, and I felt like LSU's pitching staff did a better job of using that identifying the strike zone going, okay, this guy's going to give you this, this, and then hitting those spots where if you're going to call a strike in those places, if I put it there, the hitter didn't get much of a chance, right? Well, they hit those spots a lot. And I feel like, you know, LSU's pitching staff deserves some credit, frankly, for what they did, you know? Yeah, I, I don't think their starting pitching was that good. They're decent starters. Their bullpen is really good. Yeah. And they were able to come in, mix and match. You saw how many moves those Johnson made especially in the next two games there. By the way, you mentioned runners left on base. That's a little misleading, but in a more negative way than I think we want to realize. I calculated that in the first two games, State left 12 runners on base on either second or third basis. And most often, they were there with one out. Yeah. And you think 12 runners, second and third, two games, bare minimum, you score six of those. And if State scores six of those guys in those two games, they win the series. Yeah, you know. In so many cases. It's, it's, it's like Friday night's game. Um, Jackson Fristo, who did really good his first two batters, he's one pitch away from sealing a victory. And honestly, Matt, I think that shows the fragility of this team's mindset in that one pitch goes awry and everything tumbles from that. The They know they're not getting the runs across. So the mentality is... You've just got to make something good happen and it build on it. You know, Ron Polk's old axiom, hitting is contagious. I wonder, though, sometimes, Matt, if bad hitting or bad pitching is also contagious. Mm. Well, and I think, you know, that might be one way to frame it is to use the word contagious on that, David. And what I might also do then is just basically parlay that over into a talk about confidence. You know, because honestly, coming out of the weekend, that's what, for state and for this team was my biggest fear for them was after and I and I know sometimes kids are different than we remember you know they they're pretty doggone resilient oh, sure. but, but you know to to lose that 2-1 lead when you're a pitch away from winning the Friday night game to lose that and then lose a one run I, and then the way they lost Friday night I worried about confidence you know like you really take a shot to your confidence as a coaching staff, you go back, you don't let the team see it, but you may get behind closed doors and go, man, that one's going to be tough to to work out of their system right there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think a lot of that too, Matt, is we got spoiled. We had 
three-plus seasons of Jake Mangum as an acknowledged leader of a team. He steps out. You have Jordan Westberg and Justin Foscue, who are leaders in that shortened 2020 season. Mm-hmm. You come back, and then Rowdy and Tanner Allen jump up and become the leaders with guys like Will Bednar and others in 2021. I don't, I don't know teams nearly as well as I used to because I don't have access to the players as we used to have. But my judgment is simply that there's nobody on this team really suited to be that kind of leader. Because first, you got to be able to deliver on the field to do it. But secondly, you've got to have the nature. And I don't think there's a natural guy on this roster that is playing well enough to have that sort of leadership position. But the confidence is absolutely right. And think of it too, Matt, that last year, especially the season wound on and they started figuring out that, hey, we're a pretty doggone good team. There was always the confidence, well, if I screw up, Rowdy and Tanner are going to save us offense. Mm -hmm. If I mess up in my relief stint, Landon Sims is going to come in and bail us out. Those guys aren't there. The security blankets you had offensively and pitching wise, and it's just, it's just not there. And there's nobody really stepping up to be that kind of guy. And I'm not sure there is that kind of guy on this roster. That's not a criticism of players by any means. It's just who they are. I, I kind of draw a comparison, Matt, in some sense. And you, you saw it firsthand too. Take the 99 state football team and then move forward to 2020, uh, to the 2000 team. And not defensively, but offensively, that 2000 team was more talented probably, but they had a worse record because I don't think they had those guys that stepped up and made the big plays that you saw offense and defense in 99. Is that kind of a fair comparison? I think it is. Yeah, I think think there's a lot of them like that that you could compare it to. Uh, David Murray on your radio right now with uh, Gene Space 24-7. He is at Dogs Bite Mag. On Twitter, give him a follow if you like Mississippi State coverage. David, um, on that note, what what's the RPI situation for Mississippi wow. State baseball uh, right now? Is it gloom and doom? Is there hope? What's the deal? It's between the two. The state, uh, for a couple of weeks there, was in the one teens, one twenties, and you know you're not playing postseason there. But early RPIs don't mean a lot because it's all who you play and all that kind of thing. Then they jumped all the way up, even despite losing a series to Arkansas and winning a series in Alabama. They jumped to 73. You're feeling pretty good if you just don't get swept. Mm. Well, you get swept. They're 91 today, and that's the official NCAA RPI. Well, by the way, that's not, you know, I, I respect what my friends Warren Nolan and Boyd do with their RPIs, but I list the NCAA because that's the one they use to calculate things. Now, RPI doesn't mean everything about postseason. For instance, right now, Missouri, who's three and nine SEC, and is really going to struggle to make the SEC tournament, never mind the NCAAs, they're 25. Okay. But that's because their strength of schedule. But RPI matters. I think Mississippi State has got to battle its way back, certainly into the 60s, to really feel confident about an NCAA tournament bid. They've got to make the SEC tournament. That's an obvious right now. And the way South Carolina and Missouri are playing, I feel pretty good that you're going to find one of those 12 spots. But it can't be the 12th spot. Otherwise, you've got to go on a run in Hoover, and frankly, what have we seen from this staff, never mind offense, to think they're going to go on a run. So they've got to get this done in the regular season. They've got to raise the RPI. They've got to improve the SEC record. I've done a little digging, only going back as far as 2010. I found seven cases where a team with 13 regular season SEC wins got an NCAA bid. One case, last year, Alabama, 12 wins, got it 
but their strength of schedule was off the charts last year. State's strength of schedule is not in its favor. I think they played five teams that are 240 and lower, and one team that is absolute next to last, Arkansas Pine Bluff, at 300. Mm. That's not going to help your RPI out, never mind strength of schedule. So the simple answer is the obvious one. Go out there and start stacking a bunch of W's together and start right now. Yeah. David Murray on your radio. And you mentioned that Alabama team last year. They had a great strength of schedule and went on a nice little run at the SEC tournament. You know, they what they yeah. had a they had an SEC tournament win over Tennessee that was a a host team, you know, so that was in their favor. And then am I right they wound up a three seed in Ruston? Or were they a two? Yes. They were three. I believe they were three. Yeah. yeah, no SEC team will ever be lower than a three seed anywhere, and and right now if State does sneak in. Then the popular guessing game is where will they be as three seed at? I mean, no, that's six seven weeks away, but we're already thinking along those lines of you know please don't send us to Hattiesburg this year because I think they have some pretty bitter memories from 2017, mm-hmm. how that turned out. Um, I've seen, of course, again, you know our friends up the road. I mean, they're sitting there four eight SEC. Uh, you know, the state of Mississippi right now, the standard is being carried by that bunch down in Hattiesburg, a bunch of veteran team, a yeah. good coach in Scott Berry. you got to be impressed with what his bunch is doing there. But State and Ole Miss both have a lot of time left to make up in, in a state schedule still. They've played the tougher part of it now, um, at least officially, but you still got Tennessee at the tail end. Florida's starting to get their act back together. And here, Butch Thompson's team mm-hmm. has got hot all of a sudden. I think they're coming in with an RPI of 24 and all the momentum in the world. So, And UAB, by the way, they're second in Conference USA. I think they're in the 80s RPI. If State can take three of these four games this week, never mind, you know, miraculously sweep the Tigers, they're very much back in the NCAA tournament picture. But that's it. You've got to stack those Ws together and do it fast. David, um, so here's the other if. And, and I'm not a glass-half-empty pessimist at all. I'm just trying to look at the reality of the situation. Okay, so the if they win a series this weekend, uh, win a midweek tonight, those are ifs. You play in UAB, UAB could beat you tonight. You know, you play in Auburn, Auburn could sweep you. you Absolutely. Don't know. But so, so let's say what's the other side of it. If they're sitting there at 90-something the RPI right now on April the 12th, and they don't have a good weekend, then what? Yeah. Well, I'm one of those people that goes against the grain of, you know, and this comes so easy for fans, and I'm sure you heard it as a player as well, you know, like during, say, the 96 or 97 seasons when some things weren't going well. Oh, just play the kids. You know, let's start playing for the future. Well, A, that insults your veterans who are there, and what kind of message that sends those same kids that, if well, if we start struggling, they won't play us. But there is some truth to that. When it comes to a long sports season and a high roster sport like baseball, and you saw it the other day, yes, Slate Alford and Von Siebert were getting some of those at-bats because the game was out of control. But frankly, if some guys don't start delivering in the current lineup, I mean, look at Hunter Hines. He was playing, you know, providing so much power, never had a great average, but was always a threat to go along. I believe he's one of 30 in his last six or seven games. How long can you ride with him at DH? But then here's the other question. Who do you replace him with? <laughs> who, who on this roster do you say, okay, we're giving you a shot at DH, but it's a one-game shot. Well, how much confidence can you build there? So it's a very ticklish line that Chris Lamonis and his staff are walking right now because you're still playing for an NCAA tournament. 
But if you lose, say, three of these four games this week, and then you're going to go to Ole Miss probably with no confidence in a team that really has some grudges to settle up in Oxford there, Mm -hmm. then you've really got to start thinking about, do I play for a slim chance of extending this season in the postseason, which is what Mississippi State would normally do? Or do I start thinking about, let's start playing the guys, because so much of this roster will not be back next year. So much of this lineup. So you've, and yes, with the transfer portal and all those things, it's not like it used to be rebuilding. And believe me, this staff will be using the portal this year at certain positions. But there's some guys on this team. I mentioned Alford and Siebert and others. They need more chances to show what they can do. Ideally, you're doing it midweek games, but states had to bust their butt to win midweek games this year, too. Right. So. Yeah, the scenario you bring up is really fascinating, Matt. You hope it doesn't come to that. You want this team to win out this week and get back in that postseason picture because I'll say this, what Mississippi State has proven in recent years is no matter who the head coach, you get this team into a postseason tournament, they can do some damage. Yeah, and they got home. That's it. Nobody's going to want to see State in the postseason in their regional because – all you got to have is make a mistake or two on the mound and State hits it out of the ballpark and make it interesting uh, for sure. Hey, David, uh, thanks, man. I'll see you at the ball game tonight, and if not, I'll see you there this weekend. Thank you. Yeah, I'm heading out to football practice this afternoon, by the way, and I'm sure you mentioned ball got moved up to 5 o'clock as well. And, yeah. uh, you know, we'll get together and we'll talk about what we saw from the quarterbacks in this past scrimmage this past weekend and kind of compare notes. Sounds good. Thank you, man. Talk to you soon. Matt, Bill, good to talk to you. You too. That's David Murray, Gene's Page, 24-7 Sports. State's in an RPI crunch. They've got to win ballgames. They want to get in the tournament. That's the way it feels. Still a ways to go. Stick around. And here comes Matt Wyatt up to the plate. The pitch. Whoa! It's a high fly! Knocking him out of the park for Brent Sports Talk. I'm talking way back. It's the Matt Wyatt Show. Back with you. I'm Matt in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Tommy Anaheim said, there's a catfish in my mother's pond that I've been trying to land for four years. It straightens my hooks every time. Really? Man, you need to get some bigger hooks. Get you like a six-alt. Get some big old hooks. <laughs> or get some of those circle hooks, right? Those things are not going to bend. And the only thing, Tommy, go look that up. I guarantee you they're on the shelf at like a Walmart near you or a, or a tackle store near you. And you're going to think, wait a minute, no way. You can't catch a fish with that hook because it's going to look there. I think they call it a circle hook, but it's kind of made for that kind of fishing a lot of times where, you know, you're going to, throw the bait out there and you're just going to leave the rod, like put the rod in a rod holder. You got several rods. And so you're not necessarily there to, to feel a bite or to see a bite and then set the hook, you know, by pulling the rod back. It's made the, the design of that circle hook is that. So as the fish pulls away, the line tightens and slowly that circle hook by design just begins to turn in the mouth of the fish as you, the fisherman, aren't applying the pressure with by pulling the rod. The fish is actually applying the pressure by swimming off. 
and slowly that circle hook will grab him. And once that's got him, it's got him. And the way it's made, it ain't going to straighten out. Now, you'd have to... The thing is, if you were fishing with one of those and holding the rod, it would be bad tempting that as soon as it starts swimming off and you see your line moving to then move that rod, but you wouldn't be able to do it. You need to let the rod sit still. Check into that and see what you think on that. I'm, I'm not the expert, but I'm a little bit familiar with that. All right. Here you go. All right. I'm going to play... Um, if y'all listen to this show, sometimes we'll do a little theme TV theme song trivia. Uh, yesterday we had Hill Street Blues. Bill knew exactly what it was. So, Bill, I'm going to see if I can make this one hard on you, okay? I'm ready. So, and if I, let's see, if I give you the time frame, is it going to give it away? Yeah, it might, but I'm going to do that. Okay, so. Uh, on this day in 1964, the 100th episode of this show aired on CBS. I'm not going to play you the whole thing, Bill. It's just going to be the beginning and see if you can get it. All right, here you go. Any clue? There was Mr. Ed. He got it. Yeah, the talking horse, the famous Mr. Ed. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course, that is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Ed. Go right to the source and ask the yeah. horse. He knows the words, too, listen to <laughs> Talk to Mr. Ed. You can watch it all the time, man. <laughs> 100th episode. That's of... called mindless television. You watch it because you want to be entertained. Yeah, exactly. A talking horse. I mean, come on, man. Hey, come on. Uh, yeah, the 100th episode of Mr. Ed aired on this day on CBS in, back in 1964. Three years later on this day, April 12th, Jim Brown, the great Hall of Fame running back, made his TV acting debut on the NBC show I Spy. Oh, yeah. Never heard of it myself. Bill Cosby and Robert Culp, I Spy. Yeah. Yeah, Bill Cosby played a tennis pro that was a spy, and Robert uh -huh. Culp was his, was his partner. Okay. Good show. Really good show. Hey, here's one for you. On this day in 1986, the 500th episode of The Soul Train. Soul Train. I'm Don Cornelius. <laughs> I got your Soul Train, baby. <laughs> The 500th episode. Turn it over to the Soul Train dancers. <laughs> Remember the intro with that animated train yeah. going through there? Yeah, Don Cornelius. Oh, man, what a voice. Uh, one year later, same day, April 12th, 1987, the first episode of 21 Jump Street aired. Now, I remember the show, the name, but I don't remember much yeah, about Johnny the show. Johnny Depp was in that. Was he really? Yes, he was. I didn't know that. 21 Jump Street, yeah. Is that what got him started, maybe? I think that was one of his big shit, first big okay. shows, yeah. And then uh, in 98, on this day, the pilot episode of a show called Junkyard Wars aired. I, never, I don't know what that is. I have no idea. Never seen it. Never heard of it. And I'm not playing the song, but on this day in 75, on American Bandstand, Jose Feliciano performed Chico and the Man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great song. Isn't the most famous version of Feliz Navidad, isn't that Jose Feliciano? That's him. Yes, That's him. him. Yes. 
Okay. Did a I great like job him. on the national anthem one time at a baseball game. He did. He oh, really. Man. Oh God. He really made it his, but it oh, was. Yeah. But it was a good version of it. All right. Could play that guitar, but. Yeah, he could definitely could. All right, uh, over to the phone line. Divinity Equipment phone. Divinity Equipment, Madison, and in Jackson, your Kubota dealer. Thibodeau on line one. Hey, Thibodeau, what's up? Man, I got to go back to this this uh, Mad Tiger fishing story for a second. All right, let's do it. Uh, right, first of all, you're absolutely right about circle hook. Um, I use them exclusively. Um, for jug fishing, trot lining, limb lining, and rod and reel catfishing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're they're not going to straighten that out. You'll pop a braided line before you straighten out a circle hook. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just there. It, it's incredible, and they are basically self-setting. You know, you're not. You know, if if they just pull on it a little bit, it's going to set. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So, my wife and I moved last May out to the country, and we've got a lake in our backyard. And uh, it's somewhere between seven and nine acres, depending on the water level and how the creeks around them are full or not full. And, Matt, you're a tall guy. If you stood in the dead center of my yard and walked all the way across the, the lake, you wouldn't get your head wet. Really? Okay. It's just not a, it's not an extremely deep lake. The only deep part of it is by the dam where the road goes over. It gets up to about eight and a half feet in a couple of spots there. Okay. Well, the, the neighbors that I share this lake with, they swear that there's a 70-pound catfish in this lake. <laughs> okay. And that, 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 that the, the people that lived in my house before me actually caught it and threw it back. Hmm. And I'm going, I'm going, y'all, I have been in my boat with a fish finder and polarized glasses, and I ain't seen a tree stump the size of a 70-pound catfish, much uh, less than a catfish that was. So, so like, the water is generally I, clear enough that you might see it, maybe? Uh, this time of year, no, no, because there's so much water flowing into it from rain, um, and also all the water we eat and the algae's blooming. But if you get in there in October and November and the colder months, you can see every contour, every every log, every rock, anything in there you want. Uh-huh. So, and I did that because I wanted to scout it out and see what does everything look like, where the fish are going to hide, and if I want to drop a treetop, where do I want to put it? I'm going to tell you something. I, I'm finding it real hard to believe that there's a sunny gum catfish okay. in there because I feel like I would have seen it. How many acres is it? It's about seven to eight. Okay, and you say there's one or two creeks that have fed that thing over the years. That's how there's water in there. Yeah, that's how it works is the the drainage from people's property and the road moves into it, and it's dammed up, and then it has an outlet for the dam that flows into another person's lake. Like the entire area that we live in, the entire community, there's water everywhere, Everywhere. and, and it all flows from each different property owners water to the next one so do you is it possible that it could have gone out that outlet to the other pond well i i would say yes but look i'm 170 pounds soaking wet and i wouldn't be able to crawl through that outlet. okay well that's what i'm asking if it's small enough that he that a 70 pound catfish would or wouldn't get through um i I was just gonna get through because it's uh it's 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 basically it's kind of like a street drain you know like yeah. only a cat could get through it <laughs> mm-hmm. like a house cat 
Yeah. So I mean, it's. I think the only thing that that is left to do, Thibodeau, is um, go find you one of those old uh, uh, crank handle telephones. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's got those two. Oh, yeah. It's got those two wires. Yeah. And hang those two, get out there in your boat, hang those two wires over in the water and just ease around and crank on that telephone and see what make, comes to the surface. Make sure you're not in the middle boat. Yeah, just, just, don't, uh, just don't do it barefoot. Just don't, as, don't. That, as that old country boy from Columbus told me that time, just don't do it barefoot in an aluminum boat. <laughs> well, our, our buddy that was chased by the big fish, Mad Tiger, called and said in the wintertime, catfish bury themselves down in the mud so you wouldn't be able to see them anyway in the wintertime. What? Do they? Wait a minute. Is yeah. that true? I don't know. That you know, this is our guy who got chased by a big old fish, Mad Tiger. So he may know. Hey, yeah, look, I think they really do. Look, they I'm they not, burrow into the mud. Yeah, in the winter time. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a. I'm not arguing with Mad Tiger. I'm just saying I've got people in my neighborhood looking at me, trying to tell me there's a 75 pound catfish in a lake that's four feet deep. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Is like, what would his? He'd have to have a heck of a food source, and I don't know what that would be in a lake that size. You know, another way you could find out is to accidentally throw a lit stick of dynamite in there, but that might draw too much attention, Thibodeau. You probably That's probably yeah, terrible yeah, advice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to have to try to catch it. Yeah, you're gonna, that's all it's left to do. Tell Mrs. Thibodeau, yeah. look, you just i got to try to catch it, period. End of story. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Thibodeau. Yeah. Benny Ball. You to meet there. <laughs> Yeah, don't go all crocodile Dundee and yeah, dynamite don't, fishing. There. Don't do what Matt just said. That that was only a joke. Who y'all hear me? Wyatt told me to do, do it. y'all hear me? It was a joke. I don't mean it. Stick around. He's going all the way. Bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. With playoff caliber sports talk, it's the Matt Wyatt Show. All right, back with you. Got a little time left here on this Tuesday. You do have uh, midweek baseball. It's going to happen tonight. Uh, I think everybody around here pretty much in action. I know State's hosting UAB tonight, Southern Miss. Uh, Right now, Southern Miss looks uh, for sure like the best team in Mississippi, whether you're looking at head-to-head or whatever. Uh, State's hosting UAB tonight. They moved the game time up to five. Um Ole Miss is playing Murray State right now as we speak. Ole Miss is up 8-1 to one on Murray State in the midweek. And as I mentioned, Southern Miss is hosting Southeast Louisiana tonight. That is a 6 p.m. first pitch for the 11th-ranked Golden Eagles of Scott Berry, who you heard on yesterday's show. All right, over the phone line, Divinity Equipment phone, Rooster hanging on. Line two, what's up, Rooster? Yeah, I just got us some questions, but but thanks for all the uh, the recent, you know, with the Masters and of course Sam. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're bulldogs and the rating. About the only base uh, radio I listen to is SEC baseball. Now that St. Patrick's is here, I'm on the golf course. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> but I I'm, gotcha. almost, I'm almost afraid to ask. I haven't heard one of your regular call it call in guys. I go, man, I hope he's okay. Chicken Hawk. Yeah, Chicken Hawk. No, Chicken Hawk's fine. He had a birthday last week. Saw it on Facebook. He he let me know a couple of months ago. He said, hey, I, I call all the time. I'm going to take a break. Just taking a break. And, uh, and I said, okay. Well, yeah. so, he's doing fine. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to leave now. Listen, did we ever find a Masters Golf Connection? Mississippi Connection? 
No, uh, we didn't. We didn't have one in it. Well, we've got one with Scotty Sheffler, that's for sure. What's that? He's a ray of sunshine, I'm telling you. Mm. Oh, he just uh, just uh, out of nowhere, all this stuff that he's winning, and what a good, humble guy he is. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's, he's definitely got his feet on the ground, for sure. Oh, man, I'm ecstatic. He missed that putt on purpose, by the way. That was for the cameras. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> the full putt well, on 18. Oh, yeah. He was just messing with us. Uh, I miss those all the time. <laughs> Not him. On purpose? <laughs> Inside the leather, no, I don't putt. Inside the leather, I pick it up. Pick it that's up. A, that's, that's right. <laughs> yes, I'm winter rules, 12 months. Yeah. But anyway, thanks for the update on, on Chicken Heart and the, and the baseball update. Man, we're suffering, I'm telling you. Like I say, it's the only radio I'm listening to. That's about it. And, boy, <laughs> it's like a punch in the gut every time you turn it on. Yeah, I know it. Um, it's it, th- there's a, <laughs> Here's the thing about it, you know, you look at a team like Southern Miss, okay, and if we had a chance to watch them play as much as we've watched State or Ole Miss, you know, network stuff has a lot to do with that. If we did, you'd see something with Southern Miss, and that is there's a there's a veteran it factor, and, and it looks like clutch in clutch situations. You know, you look at the walk-offs. You look at ninth inning wins. You got an extra inning win on the road on Sunday to win, to sweep the series. All these little things. The fact that all three of their weekend starters, but really their entire pitching staff, is going out there and they're just not walking people, you know. And Rooster, I don't know if you heard Scott Barry yesterday. They got a guy. Who's, they got a guy who's their day two starter who transferred in from Delta State, and he's not going out mowing people down, striking out twelve. But what he's doing is give them five or six innings of really good strike throwing and not walking, and getting them to the back end of their bullpen and. They're just they're, they've got a veteran it factor, and it is in direct contrast to what a team like Mississippi State is doing. State doesn't have a veteran it factor. There's lots of reasons for it, but you see it in the games: losing one-run games, um, giving up runs in the ninth inning as opposed to getting them. And and two, Rooster, when we really stop and think about it, you look at State. You know, it's almost like State kind of stole that series from Alabama. I'm not taking credit away from them. At all, but the way they won those first two games of the Alabama series, when they were down going into the late innings, and one of them they wanted in extra innings, the other one they wanted in the ninth inning. You know, it was almost like stealing it from Alabama, who could, like we said here on the show on that Monday, kind of Alabama kind of outplayed them. It's almost like the law of averages ultimately will kick in, and you kind of are who you are, and and it kicked in against LSU and. State doesn't have the same it clutch factor that a team like Southern Miss has right now. I guess so. Consolation, we got the left field lounge. Nobody else does. <laughs> well, that's right. That's that's true. Hey, I appreciate the call, man. Thank you. God bless. You too. Uh, you do have Super Bulldog weekend this weekend. Auburn's coming in there, and State's going to have a spring football game on Saturday. I will tell you, I went and watched um, – I went and watched uh, their their scrimmage in the stadium, most of it on Saturday, this past Saturday. It was open to the public. Um, got in there and watched it. And i tell you what jumped out at me. I, I'll, I'll give you two or three observations what jumped out at me pretty clearly. They 
especially once they started going 11-11 full-on scrimmaging and they had ones versus ones to start the scrimmage, there was a noticeable to the naked eye sort of sharpness and, and pace and togetherness in what they were doing really on both sides of the ball compared to the first two years uh, when you would go, even in the fall, you go to scrimmages and there was it didn't didn't always look the same. This was a really sharp, well run, just clicking play after play after play. It's looking like it's supposed to look when you get the operation grease. I will just tell you that I was impressed. Um, I'm not coming out of it going, "Hey, it's a top ten team." That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying what I I saw was, I mean, it definitely for state looked more veteran more crisp, sharp, fast. Uh, it, it looked, it just had the look and the pace and the togetherness, frankly, of a of a team that's and really kind of a program. Like everybody knows exactly what they're doing now. That's what it looks like to me, to be honest with you. Um, and then the other thing was how competitive it was defensively. The other th- That's the thing that jumped out at me too as I was walking back to the car. I was going, man, you know, there is some depth on the defensive side. I know they've had some players move on. Emerson, most notably at corner. You may look up in the fall and Emerson's starting for somebody at corner. You know That's the kind of player he is. But they don't have huge numbers at linebacker. And in the scrimmage the other day, Jet Johnson was not scrimmaging because he's got a broken hand he's nursing. So he was just going through the running and stuff off the field. But So he wasn't in there. They don't have you know, like a luxury of guys who – are true linebackers, but the ones that do have good-looking players, Wheat and uh, those guys. I'm drawing a blank right now. I, I can't. I don't know why I can't think of his name. The kid from Maplesville, Alabama, number 14. Um, you know who I'm talking about. But anyway, um, but elsewhere, you know, the guys that were rotating in on a defensive front. It's a good group. There's 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 experience there. Uh, they're going to get um, Jordan Davis back for the fall. He could go, really, that's what I understand, but why do it in the spring? They'll get him back in the fall. And uh, and on the back end, it's safety. You know, they've had transfers come in. they got a guy from West Virginia back there made some plays at corner. Um, corners look good to me. I tell you, I got, I got a feeling that there's some depth on that defensive side. They look good. Watson, that's who I was trying to think of, the linebacker for State. Watson, they just look, they've made a jump there. And really, you know, as far as question mark, you watch them scrimmage and, and question mark from now until they suit up and play a game in the fall over the course of summer and fall practices. You know, how are your offensive tackles going to come along? There's no Charles Cross out there anymore. Um, and, and Reese is one. Um, who's been there and boy does he look the part you know I mean he absolutely looks the part you can say that with confidence Lewis the other guy who's 6'8 he looks the part but you know it's a matter of can you get out there and do it against uh, guys in a real ball game in the fall I don't know pass catchers I like the group they're going to be fine numbers there slot looks really good 
they had a, I believe it was a screen. It was either a running play or an underneath screen. I can't remember. But anyhow, it went to the running back, one of the backup running backs that went for a touchdown. And a kid from Georgia who is the wideout, he wears number one, and he's a big old dude, you know, 6'5", and about 225, 230. He looks apart too. Uh, I think I saw him catch one ball in there, but he had a key block. He's down the field, and he's the one who came across and blocked the safety that sprung him for the last 10 yards that made it a touchdown play. And everybody's oohing and aahing at the run and the score that was at the scrimmage, and I'm seeing that block going. I think he even said out loud, good block one. Um, it just had the look. It, it, uh, I liked it now. I'll be honest with you. I liked it. And I don't have any idea what it's going to look like when they – you know, televise what is effectively a spring practice on Saturday with ever how many plays of scrimmage mixed in there. Um, but I don't know what it's going to look like then, you know, one day to the next. But to see what I saw Saturday, it, it looked like the kind of operation you want to see when you go to a scrimmage in year three of of setting up a program to run a certain style. They, they, were, they were moving around on both sides of the ball with some efficiency, and I liked it. It looked good. There was no sloppiness, particularly when the ones were out there going against the ones. All right. Jason and Flagstaff text me. All these folks talking about giant catfish. Hope they've never seen the fish. I can't tell you the number of times I've hooked decidedly not catfish chasing giant catfish. <laughs> Words of advice to send you out on. All right. For Bill, I'm Matt. Everybody here in the Bureau. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. See you.